as pastor. So if you've got used to calling me pastor over the last while, uh, you've got to think of a new name for me. I'm sure you won't have any trouble thinking of a new name for me. People have called me lots of things. And, um, but it'll be good um, to just call me Tony if you want. That'll be okay. If you still call me pastor, I'll still speak to you. Um, I just won't answer your problem. I'll send you to Phil because <laughs> I'm not the pastor anymore. This morning, I, as I was looking at what to speak about this morning, I, I really felt that um, I wanted to share something connected with where I'm going or where the Lord's leading me, really. So, so you'll, you'll get that is some of the things I'm going to share with you this morning. And, and I do have a real passion for, um, for truth. And, you know, we're living in a, in a time now where there's just so much falsehood, in, not only in cults, and new religious movements, but in the church as well. And, and it's really difficult sometimes to speak on these things because you're not setting yourself up, and I'm certainly not setting myself up as the expert, and so you follow what Tony says because he knows best. I, I'm not saying that at all, but I think we, we've got to test all things. That's what 1 John 4 1 tells us, that we've got to test whether these things are of God. And there are lots of things out and about in these days where we need to be cautious and we need to be wise and we need to be discerning. On my little leaflet that I produced, um, I start off by saying that it's reckoned there are 500 plus cults in the UK alone. Many you won't even know about. There'll be little small groups. Every now and then you might get wind of them on the TV or something. Some of them are, are bigger groups that you'll be aware of. Many of them register as charities and are seen as sort of benevolent organizations, and so they try and hide what they're doing and stuff. There's, a, there's an awful lot of stuff out there. But the big question is, for all of us, and especially as Christians, who is Jesus? So I want to begin with that question this morning and ask you to answer this, to finish this off. Jesus is what? Son of God and God. A bit loud, everybody. My saviour, good. Lord, anything else? Man, fully man, fully God. Anything else? Alive, good one. My superhero, is that what you said? Jesus is my superhero. Yeah? Okay, you could answer that in lots of ways. I'm going to answer that in some different ways this morning, and um, ways that maybe you, you won't have normally heard, but we'll see how we go. I want to uh, read to you this morning from some of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is, is maybe the most famous sermon that Jesus gave, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he gathered together people to listen to his teachings, and in Matthew 5 through 7, we find lots of different topics covered by Jesus. And I want us to sort of think about some of the things he said this morning. If you could sum up, or maybe if we could sum up the Sermon on the Mount in one sentence, somebody said we could sum it up like this. How to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God, free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, full of wisdom and discernment. I'm just going to read some words to you this morning from Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 to 29. 
So it's Matthew 7, 13 to 29, and these are from the NIV. They're all on the screen. This is what Jesus said. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's just pray before I share. Father, we just want to thank you uh, for these words and uh, that Jesus spoke to those who were there listening to him on the, on the hillside. And as uh, we hear them afresh this day, we pray, Lord, you'll come by uh, the Holy Spirit and minister to us. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what these words are saying to us right now in our lives in this day. For Father, nothing that Jesus said is wasted. It's not, he's just historical. It's, it's current. It's relevant. You are the same God. Uh, uh, yesterday, today and forevermore. And we come before you this morning asking that you will speak to us. Challenge us, refresh us, comfort us. But Lord, speak to us, however you choose, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So from these verses I've just read from Matthew chapter 7, I want to suggest three things that we never hear people say when you say Jesus is. I would have been really amazed if you'd have said any of the three things I'm going to suggest this morning. We, we say things like Jesus is God, Jesus is good, Jesus is love, Jesus is amazing, Jesus is Lord. We, we say all those things. But I want to suggest some other things that Jesus is that we can get from these passages that we don't normally hear. And the first thing is this, that Jesus is narrow-minded. Jesus is narrow-minded. I bet that didn't come into anybody's head this morning. I bet you've never heard anybody actually say that. But when we read his words here in Matthew 7, we find that indeed that Jesus is narrow-minded. 
in verses 13 and 14, he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In today's postmodern, all truth is relative, all beliefs are of equal value world, Jesus would be seen as extremely narrow-minded. The, the, the sort of politically correct group would have a field day with Jesus saying that today, wouldn't they? If he's saying there's just a narrow way, there's just a small gate, not everywhere. You know, there's, there's a broad way that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow way that leads to life. He says there are two ways, one which leads to destruction, and this is the broad way, and many will travel on it. And there's one that leads to life, and this is a narrow gate, and only a few find it. Elsewhere, Jesus says this in John 10, verses 7 to 9. He says, therefore, sorry, it says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever comes through me will be saved. How narrow-minded of Jesus for him to claim that he's the gate. He's the narrow gate. He's the one that you've got to enter through to be saved. How narrow-minded can you be? Come on, Jesus. Surely there are lots of different ways. Surely there are lots of roads that lead to God. Maybe there are all different paths up to God at the top of the mountain. Jesus says, no. No, that's not true. In fact, Jesus continues in his narrow-mindedness by saying in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Very narrow-minded. I had the misfortune a few weeks ago to find myself in Ikea. I, I, I don't know, is any men here actually like Ikea? Yeah, one or two? Um, strange people uh, need prayer. But Ikea, I, met, I actually met Jeff Bennett in Ikea because he reckons it's halfway between his house and my house. I am sure it's a lot nearer to his house. But anyway, I went along, I made the mistake of telling Kath I was going, so she wanted to come along and shop. But So Kath went off and did a bit of shopping while I spent time with Jeff. And then I met with Kath, we had a drink, and then I had to go. But I went to the cafe area, and it's got a lot of arrows on the floor, hasn't it? Everywhere. And like, if you go, if you go try and follow it all the way around, it takes you forever. It's a massive place, isn't it? So I decided to go against the floor. I decided to go against the arrows. You should have seen some of the looks I was getting. There was loads of people in there. I was fighting my way through them. So, you know, and they're all, they're all like, can't you see the arrows on the floor, mate? You know, you should be going that way around. But I went back around to the beginning to get out. You know, it's hard to swim against the tide, isn't it? It's hard to go against the floor. We have a flow in our society today that says that Jesus isn't the only way. And me saying this, and you believing it, and even Jesus himself saying it, is to swim against that tide, that overwhelming tide that we have in our society today. But you see, Jesus was narrow-minded. I once heard a, a, a preacher, a word of faith preacher, and he was talking about Jesus, and he was saying, my Jesus is a broad Jesus. A broad Jesus, he accepts everybody. It's a broad Jesus. He's not a broad Jesus. He's a narrow Jesus. Jesus is 
narrow-minded. Now, it's not only the world that sort of thinks that, you know, we're narrow-minded and Jesus himself is narrow-minded. There are Christians, as I've just suggested, who also would say that um, we are being narrow-minded. There are Christians, too, who also believe that, actually, broad is the way to salvation. And they talk about it and preach. I don't know if you've ever read this book, The Shack. It's been made into a film. It's, uh, it's out in America at, at the moment. It comes over here in June, around about June 9th, I think. It's released over here. And uh, the book, it's a really interesting book. It's interesting what it says on the bottom of it. You won't be able to see it there, and I can only just see it here. But this has got a little, a little sort of thing at the bottom of it. It says, this book has the potential to do for our generation what John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress did for his. It's that good. Nonsense. Nonsense. And if you've read it, I, I read it a, a number of years ago. And um, there are lots of things in there which we should find fault with. Lots of people tend to find comfort from the book. The idea is that there's a guy whose daughter gets murdered and he's struggling to cope with that and it's that question, it tries to deal with the question where's God when there's evil in the world? And so what happens is he gets a note from God who calls himself Papa and he has to go to the shack where he's going to meet God and get the answers to his questions. And when he gets there, he meets the Trinity and in the film, here's the Trinity in the film. And we have the spirit, is that Asian woman in the middle. The son, uh, sorry, the father is uh, an Afro-American uh, woman. And, uh, and Jesus is uh, a tanned-looking carpenter bloke. And, uh, but basically, meet the Trinity. Is that the Trinity? Is that the biblical Trinity? Is it okay for us to say God the Father is an Afro-American woman? Is that okay? I don't think so. I don't think so. And there's lots of things in it, but the big push within the book and within the film is what's called universalism. And that's the idea that actually everybody's going to be saved anyway. Everybody's going to be saved anyway. People have said that the author of the book, William P. Young, is not universalist, but he's recently brought out another book called Lies We Believe About God. Lies We Believe About God. Here's some of the chapter titles of that book. These are all things, he says, all these are lies. God is good and I am not. He says, that's a lie. God is in control. He says, that's a lie. Hell is separation from God. He says, that's a lie. Sin separates us from God. He says, that's a lie. The cross was God's idea. He says, that's a lie. And in chapter 13 of the book, he says, you need to get saved. And he says, that's a lie. We don't need to get saved. This is what he says. He says, so what is the good news? What is the gospel? The good news is not that Jesus has opened up the possibility of salvation and you've been invited to receive Jesus into your life. The gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life into his relationship with God the Father, and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote, and whether you believe it or not, won't make it any less or more true. And he goes on and on to basically say, what Jesus did on the cross will save everybody. 
you don't have to accept it, you don't have to believe in it, you could be a complete atheist, you could follow another religion, but you're okay. It's universalism. And it's a lie. It's a complete lie. But you see, universalism is more palatable, isn't it, to, to the world around us today. If you want to win people to Jesus, if you want your church to be full, you don't go around saying that, you know, you've got to trust in Jesus alone. You don't say that. No, you say, no, we just accept anything and anybody and everybody. The belief that all will be saved through Jesus, regardless of whether you believe in him, deny him, or even teach against him, is just not biblical truth. Therefore, to these people, evangelism is irrelevant. And to those who want to who call themselves Christian and believe this stuff, they have to either radically reinterpret what the Bible says or just ignore it completely. Jesus is narrow-minded. There is one way to the Father, and that's through him. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name given by which men can be saved. It's the name Jesus. So Jesus is narrow-minded. Jesus is also judgmental. Did you know that? Jesus is very judgmental. Again, you know, we don't want to believe that. How can Jesus be judgmental? Well, let's read again verses 15 through to 23. This is what he said. This is Jesus speaking. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How judgmental of Jesus to call people false prophets, to say that he doesn't know them. These people that are seemingly performing miracles and prophesying, he, he says, I don't even know you. How judgmental can he be? said that um, the most popular scripture used by Christians today is this one. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that ye be not judged. And people are very quick to say that whenever you call anything out. You see, that would happen to me by talking about the shack, for example, and the, and the falsehood in that book. People will say, Tony, judge not, lest ye be judged. And they'll throw that scripture. I like how uh, the, the um, preacher Paul Washer sort of responds to that. He said this, people tell me, judge not, lest ye be judged. I always tell them, twist not scripture, lest you be like Satan. I like that response from Paul Washer. And he's absolutely right because they don't say the context of Matthew 7.1. This is a little bit of context. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured of you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, 
let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Jesus is not telling people not to judge. He's actually saying this, which he says elsewhere in John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. In order for you to pull someone up on something they may be doing wrong, you need to check yourself first. You might have that same problem. You need to take that plank out of your own eye before you can pull the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. But once you've done that, you can challenge. You can judge. You can say something to that person. And Jesus wants us to judge correctly. And the Bible talks about us judging. We're to judge what goes on in the body of Christ. Don't judge the world. That's God's job. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin. But our job is to judge what's happening within the church and what's being taught. So Jesus isn't telling us not to judge, but to judge correctly. But you find Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount so judgmental. He judges false prophets. Well, what does he say in these verses? Well, firstly, Jesus says this. There will be false prophets. There will be false prophets. When I've gone out and done talks on cults and, and stuff like this, a few times now people have challenged me afterwards with the judge not lest you be judged kind of thing. And um, I say, well, do, do you actually believe the words of Jesus? Do you actually believe that there's going to be false teachers, false prophets, false messiahs? Do you, do you believe? Jesus said that. Do you believe that? And they say, yeah. So I say, well, if they're out there and Jesus warns us of this, can you just name one for me? Just one. Who, who is he talking about? Name just one. And they never do. They never do. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said, they're out there. So who are these people? Second thing that Jesus say, said is that they will look like sheep. They will look like sheep. I don't know if that would work necessarily. But they will look like sheep. They will look, sound, smell like sheep. You might even want to say today they might look, sound, smell like shepherds as well. Teachers, famous teachers, wealthy teachers, lots of people falling after them. Thirdly, Jesus says this, they will be shown to be false prophets by their fruits. By their fruits. So here's a couple of questions for us to consider quickly. Who are these false prophets and what is the fruit of a false prophet? Who are these false prophets? Well, Jesus goes on to say, see, the Bible, the Bible and, and the, the people that sort of print the Bible and do the Bible for us don't always help us because they stick headings in there, don't they? And he separates the words out. So it makes you think like he's talking about false prophets from verse 15 to 20 of Matthew 7. And then he's talking about another group in 21 to 23. But it, it actually flows together. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It seems to me that these false prophets that Jesus is speaking about look a lot like 
Christians. They look a lot like believers. They look like sheep. They act like sheep. They make noises like sheep. And here they are doing sheep-like things. They are prophesying. They are, they are performing great signs and wonders. They are performing many miracles. Jesus talked about this again in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, 25, he's talking about end times. And in Matthew 24, 23 to 25, Jesus said this. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders. And they've got the Yorkshire spelling there, to deceive. <laughs> to deceive. If possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. See, I have told you ahead of time. Look out for these. Discerns. Be careful. Is Jesus being judgmental? Or is he just teaching something of real importance to those who were hearing him back then and to us today? I would suggest that this is of vital importance. Should we be like Jesus? Should we listen to Jesus? Of course we should. When people say, you should be like Jesus, they often mean like, you know, the love and grace stuff, which is right, of course. But we should be like Jesus in all ways. Jesus says, watch out for these. They will come in to the flock. They will cause havoc. They will draw people away. What Jesus is actually saying is this. Signs and wonders are not necessarily evidence of saving faith in Christ. Because we tend to think it is, don't we, those things. Now, hear me rightly here, because I'm, I'm not having to go at signs and wonders and miracles. I'm not having to go at that. But what I'm saying is when you see those things, people chase after those things, don't they? You know, um, there's been a few movements over the last 20, 30 years. Think of a place like a Toronto Blessing, a Pensacola You've had the sort of Lakeland, Florida outpouring. You know, you, if ever you heard there was a great preacher, a great sort of expository preacher preaching somewhere, real sound biblical truth, how many people would, would raise the money and get on an airplane to go and hear them in Canada or America somewhere? Not many. But you hear there's gold dust. You hear there's angelic visitations. You hear that the, the angel of prosperity has turned up at this place. Man, you're selling your house to get a plane ticket to go there. Friends, let's be careful about these things. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have a God of miracles. We do. But we need to be discerning. And what is the fruit of a false prophet anyway? Well, surely the fruit of a false prophet is false prophecy. False prophecy. We have lots today of people claiming to be prophets of God. There's a, a guy in America who's very much into this sort of stuff. And when questioned about prophets, prophecies that don't come to pass, he's very keen to say, well, they're not false prophecies. They're just mistakes. Just mistakes. We're learning. We're going to make mistakes. But you call yourself a prophet, and what you prophesy doesn't come to pass. The Bible gives you a name. It says you're a false prophet. And this is what this same person said back in 1996, so 20 years ago, in, in his book called Growing in the Prophetic. This person said, The Lord simply said, I will change the understanding and the expression of Christianity in the earth 
in one generation. I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the earth in one generation. If you ever hear anybody say, I want to tell you something new, which the Lord revealed to me, and you will only get to know it yourself truly by revelation yourself, run away. Run away as fast as you can. You know, the way we test all things is against the word of God. And there's a secondary one as well, not as important as the word of God, but the secondary one I would say is Christian history. If somebody comes up with a brand new teaching, you know, this is, God revealed this to me. Nobody's ever known this before. You know, Spurgeon, Luther, Calvin, Augustine, none of these guys knew that, but God told me last night in my bedroom, (laughs) run away from that person. Run away, there's nothing new. We test all things against the word of God and find them false. So we've got a Jesus who is narrow-minded, a Jesus that's judgmental about people and the things they believe. And then we have a final one, Jesus who is arrogant. An arrogant Jesus. Verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because he had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Who does Jesus think he is? Who does he think he is? It's very arrogant, isn't it? Here's these words of mine. They're wise if you follow those. Words of mine. It says in verses 28 and 29 after Jesus said these things. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Who does Jesus think he is who does he think he is you know the scribes and the pharisees had authority to teach jesus said so in matthew 23 1 to 3 then jesus said to the crowds and his disciples the teachers of the law and the pharisees sit in moses seat so you must be careful to do everything they tell you but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach they had authority to teach They sat in Moses' seat, but people heard Jesus and said he teaches with authority, different, more authority, more powerful than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You see, the authority of Jesus to say the things he did comes from who he is. When Jesus says he's the only way, he's got authority to say that. You know, when Jesus calls out false prophets, he has authority to say that. When Jesus says that you've got to follow him and only through him will you find life. He has authority to say that. His authority to say the things he did comes from who he is. This week I I, I met a a believer, a friend of mine. I haven't seen this person for a while now. And uh, we were having a good chat about something. Nice Christian person, but again, has a problem with me saying some of these things. And uh, this person said to me, well, you know, for me, it's just about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. You know, if Jesus said it, 
Yeah, you know, if Paul said it, eh, well, you know, maybe not all, anywhere else in Scripture. It's, it's just about Jesus. That's what he says more important than anything else. The person saw Jesus' words as preeminent and as such saw Jesus the antidote to the harsh words of Paul or the nasty God of the Old Testament. Interesting, interesting. This person's got an image of Jesus, one of meekness and mildness, one of grace, one of love. But not a Jesus that's narrow-minded, a Jesus that's judgmental, or an arrogant Jesus. You see, what we find is that people try and argue away or reason away the hard things Jesus said. Jesus said some hard things, didn't he? He said some really hard things. But we, we, we tend to have this idea of Jesus in our mind of just this gentle, loving, meek, mild you know, wouldn't say boo to a goose. It just, you know, just... But it, the Bible doesn't reveal him as such. He reveals him as, as a, a, a person of grace and of great love and great understanding, full of grace and truth. But he said some hard things. So people argue or reason away some of the hard things Jesus said. So for example, in Matthew 10, verses 14, Jesus said this. He's sending his disciples out into uh, the villages and he says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. Jesus, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? That's a bit harsh. That's a bit, it's a bit of an arrogant statement, maybe. Or what about when Jesus says this in Luke 14, 26 and 27? If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a bit harsh as well. Jesus. Is, what? Really? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, he's so loving and so graceful. He probably doesn't mean what he's saying. He's probably exaggerating using hyperbole, you know, exaggerating something. Or maybe people look at that and maybe they'll just say, well, I need to maybe interpret this a different way. Or even better, I'll just ignore that part of Jesus' teaching completely. So it doesn't fit in with my Jesus. With my Jesus. Jesus is narrow-minded. Jesus is judgmental. Jesus is arrogant because of who he is. The Bible gives us seven I am's in John's gospel of Jesus. Seven I am statements. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. And every single one of those I am's are important to who Jesus is. In John 8, 58 and 59, it says this. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is claiming something for himself there. This is why Jesus has the authority to say all the things that he said. He has the authority to be narrow-minded. He has the authority to be judgmental. He has the authority to be arrogant. Jesus said, I am. And most scholars would look at that and link it immediately to Exodus 3.14. When Moses is going to Pharaoh, Moses says, who shall I say is sending me? And God says to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. 
Jesus is linking himself with the I am. He's God in the flesh. How do we know this? From the context again. When Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? They didn't stone him because he was a fruitcake, because he's just a lunatic claiming something to existed before Abraham was born. They know he's claiming to be deity. Who does Jesus think he is? Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. But Jesus also gives us some harsh things. And we stand on his words. We believe that Jesus is Lord. So when Jesus says, narrow is the way, we believe that. When Jesus says there's going to be false prophets and false teachers and false messiahs, we believe that. You know, when Jesus says we've got to follow him and heed to his words and, and, and we'll be wise when we do, he's got the authority to say that because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is sovereign over all things. And I just finish with some verses from Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23. Just listen to what it says about Jesus. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant." Jesus is Lord. Let's proclaim the gospel. Let's proclaim he's Lord. Let's proclaim truth. And let's pray that God, through us, would lead people to salvation in the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to close with a final song. Invite the group back up.